Let's pray. Abba, uh, we just thank you for your presence this morning. Thank you that um, you are good and uh, you're a good father to us. And I pray that your word would go forth um, from the beam of this morning and encourage those who hear it, um, that you would edify and build up um, your community um, and uh, reveal yourself to them. In Yeshua's name I pray. Amen. <clears throat> a, uh, a husband and wife had been married for 60 years, and they had no secrets between them except for one. The woman kept in her closet a shoebox that she, she forbade her husband from ever opening. But when she was on her deathbed and with her blessing, he was allowed to open the box and, and, uh, and see what was in there. And what was in there, he found a, a, a doll that had been crocheted, and he found $95,000 in cash. My mother told me that the secret to a happy marriage was to never argue, she explained. So instead, instead of arguing with you, I should just keep quiet and, and crochet a doll. And her husband was very moved by this. There was only one doll in the, in the box. That meant she'd been angry with him only once in 60 years. But what about all this money, he asked. Oh, well, that's, that's the money I made from selling the dolls. Uh, of course, we know that uh, a successful marriage, or any relationship, uh, this story does not hold water, right? You have to communicate, all right? And so now that I have a good, uh, what is it, 15 months of marital experience under my belt, I thought I would give you all a sermon on marriage. Well, sort of. I might, I might not be an expert yet, so I'm aware of my, my limitations. So, so I, thought, I thought maybe I could talk about marriage as an analogy. I think that marriage is a great analogy for a lot of things in Scripture and in life. Um, so today's sermon is called The Analogy of Marriage, and I have three points. You know, I just saw Rabbi David in, in, uh, at the, in Los Angeles, so maybe I'm influenced by by just seeing him to have three points. But anyway, here are the three points. Marriage is like Messianic Judaism, number one. Marriage is like the body of Messiah. And number three, marriage is like our relationship with God. All right? So let's start with number one. Marriage is like Messianic Judaism. The amazing thing about marriage is that you're taking two lives that are separate, and you're making them into one life. The process of combining two lives into one is messy, but it's amazing. It's an amazing labor of love. But how is this like Messianic Judaism? Well, to begin with, let's take a look at Genesis uh, chapter 2, verses 18 through 24. This is what it says. Do we have it up there? All right. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. 
Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. Whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. That must have been fun. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So none of the animals cut the mustard, apparently. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs, and then he closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, or in Hebrew, isha, for she was taken out of man, which is ish. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. So in other words, Hava, or Eve, she was uh, formed by being taken out of the man, right? And then they come back together in marriage. This, according to Rabbi Yeshua, is the basis for all marriages. The challenging part is the recombination of the two lives, you know? As for me and, and my wife, Sonia, we had a, a different upbringing. We had a different family life. We have different experiences, um, different giftings, different weaknesses, different strengths. On the other hand, she is my besheret, which is a Yiddish word, uh, basically means uh, intended or uh, by God's divine providence, essentially. So she, she is the rib that was taken out of me. She is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. But on the other hand, she's totally different from me. So the recombination of our lives is it's not just enough that she is my besheret, my intended. It requires communication, working together. <laughs> I got an amen on that. Communication, very important. Compromise. Active listening. This is what I hear you saying. Humility. Partnership. Shared values and shared vision. It is a most worthy labor of love. But how is this like Messianic Judaism? Well, at one time, the community of Yeshua's disciples were all Jewish. There was no Christianity no Gentile wing of the body of Messiah. There was no Nicene Creed. There was no Easter. There was no church. Nothing. The Yeshua movement itself, the whole movement, was Jewish. If you were from the nations and you wanted to hear the gospel, where did you go? You had to go to the Messianic synagogue. Then, in the book of Acts, a mighty move of God spread the gospel to the nations. And a few hundred years later, there was a gradual parting of the ways. The rib and Adam were separated. There was Judaism on the one hand, and there was a community of Yeshua followers on the other hand, and that's how it's going to be until at least, you know, the 1970s. It was then that the Jewish followers of Yeshua had a vision for an amazing marriage the marriage of Judaism and Yeshua. Many of us know that these two 
are each other's besheret. They belong together. How can you understand Judaism without Yeshua? Or Yeshua without Judaism? They are intrinsically linked, bound together, because that is their origin. Judaism is the rib from the side of Messiah Yeshua. But they grew apart for about 1,500 years. And natural questions arise from this time apart, this separate existence. How much weight should we give to the Talmud and to the wisdom of the rabbis? How much of Christian theology and Christology can we adopt, and how much should we adapt? It's good theology, to be sure, and there's a lot in it that we can learn from, but it's left out Israel for 1,500 years. How can we understand and celebrate the traditions of the Jewish people? These are not easy questions. These are the questions that we in the Messianic Jewish movement, we're wrestling with this, this difficult marriage, right? But it's important. We're fighting for the oneness of Judaism and Yeshua. We're advocating for this marriage. And the process of bringing them together again, like any healthy marriage, requires communication. Work, <laughs> another amen. Working together. Compromise. Active listening. Does this list sound familiar? Humility. Partnership. Shared values and shared vision. It is a most worthy labor of love. And this brings me to the second analogy. Marriage is like the body of Messiah. Specifically, the relationship between Jews and Gentiles in the body of Messiah. Why do I say this? Well, think of a marriage. Who is more important, the husband or the wife? <laughs> oh. <laughs> any, other, any other guesses? <laughs> Hopefully you're saying neither, if you don't want to sleep on the couch tonight. Which is more beloved by God, the husband or the wife? Which one is more special? Neither. Okay, good. But that doesn't mean that they're the same in every way. Anyone who is married will tell you that men and women are different, and that is a good thing. It's the subject of countless books and the source of many standard comedy bits. The faith-based book, Men Are From Mars and Women Are From Venus, is based on this idea. How many of you are, are familiar with this book? All right. It's, uh, let us also be reminded of the wisdom of that great contemporary Jewish sage, Jerry Seinfeld. <laughs> and I quote, <clears throat> you know, men, men flip around the television more than women, I think. Men get that remote control in their hands. They don't know what they're we're watching. You know, we just keep going. Rerun, I don't want to watch it. Uh, what was that? I don't care. I got to keep going. Who was that? I don't know. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It's not your fault. I just got to keep going. Women don't do this. See, now women will stop and go, well, let, let me see what the show is before I change the channel. You see, men just fly. Because women, you see, women nest and men hunt. That's why we watch TV differently. Unquote. 
The heart of this idea is really two ideas, distinction and mutual blessing. This is how God designed a healthy marriage to operate. Two people distinct from one another so that they can bless the other. My wife has gifts that I don't have, and this is a blessing to me. Distinction and mutual blessing go together. This is the idea behind the Genesis narrative. God created the day and the night distinct. God created the Shabbat and the work week distinct, but so that they would be a blessing to the other one. If life was all Shabbat, we'd never get anything done. If life was all work, we'd get burnt out. They need each other. They are set apart for the purpose of blessing the other. And Hashem created a marriage this way, and he created Israel and the nations this way for this purpose. Israel was designed to be distinct from the other nations in order to bless them. The marks of distinction in the Torah for the Jewish people, such as keeping kosher and keeping circumcision, they keep the Jewish people distinct. And this is good only as far as it leads to them being a blessing, a light to the nations. Paul is emphasizing these two ideas in 1 Corinthians 7, verses 17 through 20. And this is what he says. All right. Nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them, just as God has called them. This is the rule I lay down in all the churches or congregations. Was a man already circumcised when he was called? He should not become uncircumcised. Was a man uncircumcised when he was called? He should not become circumcised. Excuse me. Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing. Keeping God's commands is what counts. Each person should remain in the situation they were in, uh, they were in when God called them. Now, does Paul mean that circumcision is literally nothing? No. Because in the context of the apostolic writings, we see that Paul upheld the Torah and the covenant of circumcision. And in the context of the passage itself, he maintains the importance of distinction. He says you should remain as you are. If you're Jewish, uh, circumcision is basically a, um, uh, um, uh, what, a sign, but uh, what's the word I'm looking for? A, a microcosm. Maybe. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a symbol. He's saying Jewish identity, basically. We can think of circumcision as Jewish identity. So he's saying, he's not saying that it's not important, um, but he is exaggerating to make a point. The point is that circumcision or non, not circumcision does not matter in terms of our right standing with God. In other words, Jewish identity and G Gentile identity are important, but not as important as our equal standing, our equal relationship to God. That's why he says to remain as you are. This is his rule for all the congregations. Think about that. Let that sink in for a moment. This is Paul's rule for all the churches, all the congregations. If you're Jewish, remain so. If you're Gentile, remain so. Because God has created this distinction for Mutual blessing, the same as he created a man and woman in marriage or a day and night in Genesis, neither being more important, but each being important in their own identity and calling to bless the other. 
When Hashem called Abraham in Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3, he established distinction and mutual blessing. The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples, all families on the earth will be blessed through you. I've read this scripture many times, and I always knew that Israel was called to bless the nations. But look again at verse 3. The nations will be blessed if they bless Israel. It's a symbiotic relationship. They're called to be a blessing to the other part. And this brings us to the third analogy. Marriage is like our relationship with God. Rabbi Shaul, or Paul, writes in Ephesians 5, verses 25 through 33. This is what he says. As for husbands, love your wives. Ooh, that's tiny. Can you see that? Yeah? All right. Well, I'll read it to you. Uh, Love your wives, just as Messiah loved the Messianic community. Indeed, gave himself up on its behalf in order to set it apart for God, making it clean through immersion in the mikvah, which is um, like the, it's not really baptism, but it's um, the ritual cleansing. Uh, In order to present the Messianic community to himself as a bride to be proud of, without a spot, wrinkle, or any such thing, but holy and without defect. This is how husbands ought to love their wives, like their own bodies, their own rib. For the man who loves his wife is loving himself. Why, no one ever hated his own flesh, right? On the contrary, he feeds it well and takes care of it, just as the Messiah does the Messianic community. And that's the key verse there. Because we are parts of his body. Therefore, a man will leave his father and mother and remain with his wife, and the two will become one. There is a profound truth hidden here, which I say concerns the Messiah, being Messiah Yeshua, and the Messianic community, being us. However, the text also applies to each of you individually. Let each man love his wife as he does himself and see that the wife respects her husband. In other words, the model for a husband's love of his wife is the same, is the same way that Messiah Yeshua loves us. I remember one time I was sitting over here and I was just looking at my wife kind of happily. And, uh, and uh, the Lord said to me, the way that you're looking at Sonia is the way that I look at all of these around you. Paul says there's a profound truth here. In other translations, it's a great, a great mystery of how Yeshua feels about us. So to give us the idea, um, I thought I'd show us some pictures. Uh, this is a slideshow of grooms seeing their brides on their wedding day for the first time that day. So do we have that? So this, this guy, he looks pretty, pretty impressed. All right, what's the next one? Oh, man. Wow. He can't take it. All right, next one. What? 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 All right, and let's, let's check out this next one here. Oh, he can't even stand up. He's, he's weak in the knees. All right, what's the next one? Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. 
I couldn't take it. That was the first time I saw her uh, that day. It was for the uh, unveiling. All right. So why am I showing you these pictures? These, these guys, you, <laughs> you can take it down. <laughs> these guys are, are blown away by the beauty of their brides. They're full to the brim with love. And Paul is saying, this is what Yeshua feels when he looks at you. The same, the same emotions, the same sense that you get from these pictures. This is what Yeshua feels when he looks at you. I'd like to close this sermon um, by praying over you uh, a prayer that Paul wrote also in Ephesians just a few chapters earlier. This is from Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. And he writes this. For this reason, I fall on my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven on earth receives its character. I pray that from the treasures of his glory, he will empower you with inner strength by his spirit, so that the Messiah may live in your hearts through trusting. Also, I pray that you will be rooted and founded in love so that you, with all God's people, will be given strength to grasp the breadth, length, height, and depth of the Messiah's love. Yes, to know it, even though it is beyond all knowing, so that you will be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who by his power working in us is able to do far beyond anything we can ask or imagine, to him be the glory in the Messianic community and in the Messiah Yeshua from generation to generation, Lador Vador, forever. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. Father, I just, um, I thank you for this amazing prayer in your scriptures, and I just, I say amen to it. I pray that you would fill us with um, your love, oh God. We would be rooted and established in your love for us. Lord, we thank you for these truths. Um, in your, in your word that help us not only to be good husbands but, um, and wives, but to understand um, what you're doing on the earth, oh God, and to understand your love for us, which is key. I pray that everyone who hears the sound of my voice, oh God, that you would root them in your love, you would establish them, that you would build them up, um, that you would speak to them, oh God, in your still small voice. B'Shem Yeshua HaMashiach. Amen.